what an awesome season. I'm excited for all that they're going to do. And it is good to have uh, smart people working in the church. Amen. I'm excited for um, what we're doing. Is it, does, do, doth my eyes deceive me? Are we nearly full today? Well, come on. If today is your first day and you've walked in and said, so this is where you've been going to church? (laughs) The answer is, yeah, this is where we've been going to church. I don't know. There are more sterile ways to do church. But there are no more real ways to do church than the way we do church. If you are here for the first time, right now you are sitting amongst some of the most authentic, Holy Ghost-filled, earnest chasers after Jesus that I've ever met. This room was full of people who were like, church in a bar? No problem. Church in a parking lot? Don't care. Church in a comedy club? Let's yuck it up for Jesus. This room was full of people who don't care what it looks like or where we have to go. They are just like the first church who did church underground. And so when we got the opportunity to do church underground, I was like, yes, Lord. Because there's great power birthed in unlikely places. And so if you're here for the first time, I just know it won't be your last time. Because um, there's just something different here. Amen? Now, I think we need a new building. Amen? but hopefully there's a basement. Come on now. (laughs) Let's jump into the word today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to continue a series in Philippians and we're going to connect it to the the resurrection story, the gospel presentation that most of you are familiar with. But we're reading right now this spring through the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, a church he planted. And today we pick up in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, a pretty common turn of phrase selection of scripture that many people tasked in their early days of faith with memorizing may have forgotten. And today we're going to examine it afresh. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, it reads like this. Not that I already have it obtained, or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The title of our message today is Just Keep Swimming. Just Keep Swimming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the glorious opportunity to be called by your name, to be made your own. God, would you meet us here in this room right now? Holy Spirit, would you dwell richly within us? Would you permeate every fiber of our being and would you overflow in this room so that those that do not know you yet will know you now? Amen. As as is our custom whenever we walk through an epistle, one of the things that we do is for each message we have a big idea, a concept that you can sort of take away with, something that I hope is like a noodle. You know when you hear a song on the radio that you don't like and then you sing that song all day long? 
I'm hoping that our big idea will be something that you like, but will have the same sort of sticky resonance with you. And today, our big idea for Just Keep Swimming is this. Sometimes, the best you can do is just keep moving forward. And that's, that's enough. Sometimes, the very best effort you can put forward is just one foot, just a little bit. But that's better than not moving at all. And this conversation today, you, you may be here for the first time, you may be visiting, it may be your custom that on Easter you go to a church and, and that's, that's when you're in church. And if that's you, I love you. I'm so glad we got to be a part of that part of your life. I'm, I'm so honored that we get to be with you on Easter. And it may be your custom that when you come to church, you know that you're going to hear the story of Jesus. You're going to hear the cross. You're going to hear, hear the resurrection. You're going to hear the sort of gospel presentation, right? And so you might find it weird that we're not in one of the gospels, that we're, we're reading from, from one of the epistles of Paul, but when I was planning these messages out, I typically write big sections like this months in advance. And when we got to Easter, I was going to X out Easter so there'd be a special, special message. And, and as we walked through the script, I realized that there was this conversation from the Apostle Paul that even though it wasn't overtly about the gospel, it was completely about the gospel. Yeah. And it spoke to many of us who might be here today whose faith journey kind of looks like this. You know, I go to church on Easter. And I hear the same story. I mean, I know the gospel presentation. I know that they're going to tell me about Jesus and sin. I might even know that Romans 3 tells me that all have sinned. I might know that Romans 6 tells me that the wages of sin is death. I definitely know, like Tim Tebow, that John 3.16 tells me that Jesus loves me so much he doesn't want me to die. I may even know that Ephesians 2 tells me that God makes me alive with Christ. I might even know that 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells me that if any man be in Christ, he is new. And if you're coming to Beacon for the second or third time, you might know some of our core verses like John 8.12 when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But Matthew 5.14, he looks at you and he says, and so are you. You might know transformative gospel presentations because you've heard them over and over again. But that might be, for some of us, the end of what we know. Yeah, yeah. How many of you have gone to church and heard it like the exact same story you heard last year? And you're like, yes, Jesus, where do I, how do I do it? <laughs> but when it comes to like being Christian, well, then that's where we don't know anything. Today's conversation is really for those of us here today who feel like from time to time, or maybe even right now, like, you know, when it comes to the faith thing, like, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't even, I don't, I don't, how do you do it? You ever been in a church and, and, and sitting next to people and you're pretty sure they all got it figured out and you're the only one who doesn't have it figured out? I got such good news for you. No one has any idea what they're doing. No one has any idea from time to time. 
It is true that those of us who are in this room, we are earnestly chasing after the gospel and we are learning and seeking, but most of us are still filled with instances of doubt and struggle. The person right next to you, especially the one that you think is perfect, is imperfect. And here's how I know. Because the apostle who writes this epistle to the church that he started the one whose words fill nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, his teachings and his writings really crystallize the orthodox doctrine that the vast preponderance of Christians believe. The apostle Paul himself, he says right here, I don't have, I don't have it all figured out. Yeah. And when I read this, I'm like, oh, yes, because there are days And I'm like, I don't have it all figured out. Come on, man. You may have come here today waiting for a pastor to know it all. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you might be hoping that the man that stands in front of you has eons of perfection and righteousness. But that isn't what we've built here. In this church, we've built a room full of people who are broken and vulnerable and are being rebuilt on the journey and don't mind staying real close to who we were so we can tell people who he is. So when I tell you I don't have it all together, I don't want you to bristle because you don't have it all together either. So we're on the same playing ground. Amen? Let's do this thing together. So the apostle Paul, he says, brothers, I got to tell you. I mean, I know that I'm supposed to know it all, but I don't. And what he does is he gives us this roadmap on how to take the next step, ready? After coming to church on Easter. After visiting, darkening the door for the first time or the third time or the fifth time or every weekend and still you struggle with, like, I just don't get it. Paul says, I get it. Let's figure it out together. So today we're just going to talk about three real simple, easy instructions on, on how to how to just keep swimming. And really, I'm going to focus on the, the, the first three verses, verse 12, 13, and 14. I'm going to challenge us at the end. Um, but before I do that, I want to show you something right in verse 15. Here's, here's something for you. Because if you're, you're, uh, if you're mature in your faith or advanced in your years, you're probably looking at me with tattoos and our church that's really young and wondering, does this church have enough spiritual maturity for me to fit in? Because, you know, sometimes it's fun to be in a youthful church when everybody's jumping around. But if the doctrine feels like youth group, you might be like, meh. And what we're going to talk about today is what it feels like when you don't have it all together. And Paul says in verse 15, let those who are mature think this way. Here's what he's really saying. You really want to have mature faith and grow in this journey? Be humble and aware that you don't have it all together. So if you walked in and you have it all together, you're teaching tomorrow. Amen? <laughs> but I hope that you'll join us as we all figure it out 
First point is this, verse 12. I want to show you something real quick. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing to his friends. He's writing from a prison. Most of us believe that he's writing from Rome and he's writing in chains. He's under guard. And he's just gone through a conversation the last two weeks we had discussed, just discussed how when he compares his whole life and everything that he's obtained and everything he's achieved and all that he has and possesses, when he compares all of that to Jesus, he realizes it's nothing. And he's just walked us through. He's called it rubbish. He said it's, it's, it's Jesus who has the surpassing worth. He says, if I put the scales together, it's just Jesus, always Jesus, and nothing matters. Yeah. And when he says something like that, and as we've discussed the last two weeks, when enter, whenever anybody tells us about how much they've fallen in love with Jesus and have been able to let go of the world, have you ever just felt like, how did you do that? And I think that the apostle, in writing this letter, senses that after making such a bold declaration in the beginning of chapter 3, that he needs to pause and sort of address the elephant that might be in the room, which is a lot of people are wondering, like, well, how, how, how? And he says, first things first, not that I've already obtained it. He sort of softens the room for a second, and, and he makes an invitation. And, and I, as I was planning this message out, I was, I was just, I, I, I see things and pictures and everything for me is always sort of tied to memories, especially as a kid. And whenever I saw this, I just, I, I thought, you know, if Paul's really inviting us to just keep swimming through life, through faith on this journey, then this first verse, 12, where he's talking to us, this is really him just saying, why don't you just jump in? Yeah. The water's fine. How many of you ever took um, swimming lessons? Do you remember first swimming lesson when the teacher would go into the middle of the deep end and they would put their hand out and they would, this is how we did it in mind, the teacher would be treading water and, and I'd be standing on the edge and he said to me, he just put his hand out on the, on the top of the water and he said, just jump into my hand. And I was like, no. <laughs> it's an interesting invitation because what the, the instructor was doing in that moment was essentially saying, I don't want you to focus on the deep around you. I just want you to focus on the extended hand that's towards you. What he's essentially saying is if you just jump into my hand, then guess what? You'll already be in my hands. And what Paul is writing in this moment in verse 12 is this. I know you see the deep of faith. You wonder if you can be holy. You wonder if you can make it work. You wonder what all these people have that you don't have. And you wonder, could I even make it as a real Christian? And Paul says, just, just jump. Just jump. Will you sink? Probably. I don't know a person in here who hasn't sunk for a few moments. And that's why we have church. So one of us goes over there and, oh, under and another swims over and says, oh, geez. <laughs> you okay? I'm okay. Paul says, just jump in. The water is fine. What he's really saying in this moment is, brothers, I don't pretend that I have it all together or I don't even pretend that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because... Jesus has made me his own. What he's really saying is, just because I don't understand everything, and side note, you'll never understand everything. If you understood everything about faith, then he wouldn't be God, you'd be God. And so in moments when your faith has you confused and confounded, guess what? That's the sweet spot. 
He says, I don't have it all figured out, but guess what? I'm not going to let me stop me from jumping in. I mean, that's part of learning how to swim. I, I know families who've taken swimming lessons and, and they've said, just jump to his hand, just jump to his hand. And then, you, you, know, you, you know, how you hold on the side, you practice your kicking and then your bubbles. And, and, and I know some people that teach their kids how to swim like this. One, two, no, I don't want to die. Because sometimes the best way to learn to swim is just to jump in. And you're here today and you're wondering, can I really make faith real beyond just Christmas and Easter? And the truth is, yes, just jump in. The water is fine. It'll get a little rough, but you'll get stronger. And when Paul writes and he says, I don't really have it all figured out, but I'm jumping in because Jesus has made me, at the end of verse 12, his own. What he's saying is, you know that outstretched hand? Well, that's Jesus. And he's saying, just, just jump in. But, but when Paul writes that Jesus has made me his own, what he's really doing is he's just peeking at a theological concept, which is eternal security, which is this. When Jesus calls you his, guess what? You can't change his mind. Did you know that? Once Jesus grabs you, squeezes you, loves you, kisses you, makes you co-heir, even you can't make him angry enough to go, fine, never mind. <laughs> you're his from the moment he says you're his until the end forever and ever, amen. amen. And so what Paul is really writing about here when he says Jesus has made me his own, it's not just that Jesus is inviting me to jump in, but Jesus is inviting me to finish perfect and well. He says, Jesus says, come in. Don't worry about anything after that. I got you. And you're like, but how do I swim? He's like, don't worry. Just look at me. But what if I sink? Don't worry. Just look at me. Jesus wants you to finish well. But you can't finish unless you start. And a lot of us are wondering if we can finish, and so we never really start. Our faith journey is all about we just attend the one time or the two times a year, and we hear it, and we're like, that's, that's good, man. But, I mean, it's so far off, so it's just too, too hard for me to go all the way there. And so I, I just, um, I'll see you next year. And I want to tell you right now that Jesus is not inviting you to go to church on Easter. He's inviting you to stand side by side with him as he stands at the right hand of the Father and that you might have eternal life forever. He invites you to the end, but you got to jump in. You said, Pastor, uh, wait a minute. You don't know my story. Oh, you don't know my story, brother. <laughs> I've been blessed over the course of my ministry to, to teach and to preach and to learn how to do ministry in multiple different environments. I have, by God's grace, been able to speak to large crowds. I, I don't particularly like it. I, I, um, it feels like performance. I've been invited to, um, to teach young adults. There's a whole swath of this community who's walked with us since I learned to be a pastor. Pray for them, amen. <laughs> 
They're like, we were with you when you had bad doctrine. Yes, you were. Sorry about that. <laughs> I've been blessed to, um, to preach in, in halfway houses and in homeless shelters. And, and one of my favorite places to, to really preach in is prison. And, and, and the reason is because um, they don't care if you wear nice clothes. <laughs> and they're hungry for the gospel. And I used to love to preach in prisons because when you walk into those rooms and you share truth that changes lives, every word is consumed, digested, and transformative. And on top of that, I like to be in a room full of guys just like me. I used to joke in those rooms that that was the first time I was around people who'd probably done a few things worse than me. And it felt so safe. And I tell you this to say, I know what it's like to be in a room where you're sure that if everyone knew who you really were, they'd run from you. And I want to tell you, right now in this room, there's somebody, probably me, who's done worse than you. And you're still welcome here. Amen? You're still perfectly suited to be here. And so when we, and we pray that we do, when we hear your full story, don't you worry. None of us are going to be like, (gasps) we're not going to clutch our pearls. We're not going to kick you out. You know what we're going to say? You should meet CB. He did that. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've been discipling a young man and he talks about jail. And I'm like, well, where did you go to jail? And he's like, Jefferson County. And I'm like, I've been there. That place sucks. Oh, it's terrible. You know, just sharing these hard truths with each other, which is just. awesome to be amongst people who who are real amen Amen. and so Paul says as an echo of Jesus just jump in I know you don't have it all together don't worry we'll figure it out as we go but just jump in but here's the challenge for most of us the things that hold us back is that you can't jump in if you still hold on to the edge of your life amen And so Paul might write in verse 13, if I could distill it down, he might give us three simple instructions on how to let go. He might say, here's the deal, jump in the water is fine, but you, you, you gotta let go. You ever seen those videos where people are getting ready to jump off of a cliff, encouraged by their foolhardy friends? They muster the courage to get ready to, and then at the last moment they panic and they grab onto something and then they fall and hit every branch on the way down. Ready? That's most of our faith. Jesus is like, let's go. You ready? And you're like, I'm ready. He's like, trust me. I trust you. Jump. No. (laughs) Consider for a moment the story of Jesus and Peter. Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter is in the boat. And he and the disciples, through the mist and through the haze, they, they think it's their rabbi, their teacher, and Peter calls out, and he says, Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. And Jesus, without hesitation, says, come on. Don't you wish you could see Peter's face right then? (laughs) If it's you, just tell me to come on. Come on. Wait, come closer, and then tell me. (laughs) 
I've always in my sanctified imagination viewed Peter in this moment as, as, as really being tested in his faith, not at stepping out and not at walking, but the moment where he had to let go of the boat for the very last time. I mean, it's easy for me to, all right, it feels pretty firm. I can come. And once I'm on it, if I'm seeing Jesus, it might, oh, it's going to be scary, but, but I, I think I can build up some momentum and thrust myself into you, but it's, boy, real faith is, uh, it's in the letting go, isn't it? It's in the just, and what, what Paul writes in this moment is, Well, it's the way he learned to let go. He says, verse 13, brothers, I I don't consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, letting go, works like this. Number one, consider. In verse 13, in the beginning there, he says, I don't consider I've made it my own, which tells us that he has considered it's possible that he could make it his own. And one of the challenges that I think I find with most young believers is they think the gospel is not for them. Like they think they've been disqualified, like they think they'll never get it together, or even more mature folks who've been walking and they're like, I've tried it, pastor. I used to, I was was a member, I was a deacon, but there's no way. And I want you to tell you today that the first step in really jumping in and going after the Lord, the first part of letting go of your old life is just to ready, reconsider that it's still possible that Jesus still loves Is it possible right now that in the midst of where you are in this life stage, with all of your uncertainty, with all of your certainty, with your current circumstance and the things that you struggle with, with the ways that you find victory and identity, is it still possible that through all of that, both the good, the bad, and even the ugly, that there's still a God who sits on high and looks down low and still says, I love you. Today, I want to tell you that if you really want to go after this thing, the first thing that has to change is your mind about you and Jesus. You say, Pastor, I get it. I've tried a million times. Try again. No, but I've said the prayer, and I know that, like, it just doesn't work. Try it again. Say it one more time. Show up next Sunday. Do it one more time. Just just try to convince yourself that it's possible. Can you consider that it's possible? Amen? Number one, consider. Number two, this is the best part. This might be one of the hardest part for most of us. He says, I I don't consider that I have it my own, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind. Wouldn't it be easier if the apostle said to us, "Um, I'm going to box up what lies behind and put it on a shelf. Because this is what most of us do with aspects of our life. You know how you've been through a hard relationship or a difficult season? Maybe it was a season where your job just had you low. Maybe it was a time where transitionally you had to move or you had to leave. You lost some friends. You felt betrayed. Maybe you have that relationship that's just come to an end. And you know there's a part of you that wants to break free from all of that. But it's so true in human nature that sometimes we like to keep some of that stuff. How many of you have a box of keepsakes Tickets, notes, a feather. What? Thank you. 
The feather always hits. I don't know why it is. You open it up, and you're like, why is there a feather? Oh, man, it was the spring of 82. <laughs> it is human nature to hold on to the past. It helps us remember where we've been and who we are. Here's where the gospel gets hard. Paul says, if you really want who he is and where he's going, ready? You got to leave it all behind. You said, wait, the feather too? Yeah, the feather. No, leave the feather. (laughs) But I am saying the emotion that's tied to the feather that might hold you back from reaching Jesus. Amen? I'm telling you that it's totally normal for us as a part of the human experience to want to hold on to keepsakes and memories, even of things that we know are detrimental because there's something weird about a fallen world that we live in that even the bitter can be sweet sometimes. We have fond memories of people that hurt us and in difficult seasons we look back and we think it wasn't great, but there was still greatness in there. And Jesus says, if it's not me, leave it, forget it, let go. I'm calling you by name. Paul says, the way I found my way was forgetting what was behind me. I considered that there was something more in Jesus for me. And that just consumed me. And I just, I forgot this. You see, most of us have never allowed ourselves to be transfixed by just who Jesus could be. You, You don't really know just how fulfilling it is how he could be your all in all, how every need could be met. And so we, we don't see him and we think we have to hold on to things to bring him with us. Paul says, you gotta let go of everything. So that, number three, he says, I, I forget what lies behind and I, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I love the straining. And it's tied to the next verse when he says, I press on. We're going to talk about that in a second. I love that he says straining. In the original text, the word straining here translates, ready? Straining. It doesn't get very deep. It's just straight up super difficult. What he says is, I'm letting go of my old life, and it was really good. But there's something more. And I'm willing to fight for it. And this is where I want to preach to every man in the room here today and say, you got a lot of gusto and a lot of strength and there's a lot of things in your life that you're willing to fight for and there is only one battle worth your energy and that's chasing after Jesus. Fellas, you don't become more of a man by being stronger in the flesh. You don't become more of a man by being stubborn or having your way or ruling your house with an iron fist. You do not become a man by being stronger in finances, power, money, prestige. Those are the things that define Boys, the things that define men is I am willing to fight for the cause of Christ for myself and for my family and I don't care what it takes and if it hurts me, I'm going all in and even if I die, I will live. So fellas, I want to push you in the chest today and you came to the church, you thought it would be Easter and you thought it would be nice. That's not our kind of a church. Welcome home. I want to push you to be a man who says, I'm going after Jesus and it's going to hurt and I want that, that I might know him and his suffering in all parts of who he is. Paul says, I am straining towards the mark. 
But see, I get to strain because I'm unencumbered by all of this other stuff. Most of us, we, we fall under the weight of the strain of the gospel because we walk into the conversation of the gospel already weighed down by the weight of our life. Jesus says, I paid it all. And you're like, great, let me bring my baggage. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And you said, great, I'll make room for my stuff too. He says, I'm straining because I left everything aside. And now when it comes to Jesus, I can give him all of me. I hear the Lord, not hocus pocus, but I just sense the Lord saying to you and to me today, you haven't yet given me all of you. If that convicts you or frustrates you today, don't worry, he's saying it to me too. No one in here is done. Did you know that? Not one of us has finished and is good and Jesus is like, I got it, nice work. No, there's always more. Pastor Rob told us that in a pre-service rally today. Even when you think he's done, he's not done. Maybe it's time for us to give him our all. Last part of this text, I'm gonna show you this and I'm gonna make a challenge to you today. Verse 14. Paul says, I press on. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Straining and pressing on. This is when the apostle might use the famous words of Dory and say, just keep swimming. And I love that he uses straining and press on because what Paul is doing when he writes to this church and to us 2,000 years later is he's really implying in no uncertain terms, hey, just so you know, it will be hard. There will be seasons in your life when you think you'd have it all together and the Lord will allow it all to fall apart. And he does it for your good. There will be seasons in your life when your faith will be tested because your marriage is under attack. There will be seasons in your life when your children are under attack, their health is in peril, and you will be asked to do more than you ever dreamed you'd have to do as a father or as a mother, and those seasons will be hard, and you'll wonder if you can do it, and the Lord says, you can do it, I can do it, we're in this thing together. Paul is writing to you and I and saying, it will be, it will be hard. but he can do it. And I might just push even harder and say, and, and you all by yourself, you can't do it. You can't fix your marriage. You can't heal your kids. You can't work your way all up to the top of the corporate ladder. If Jesus isn't in it, it ain't gonna work. But he can do everything. And so Paul writes and he says, I press on. It's going to get difficult. The secret to Christianity is knowing that even when things are hard for me, they're still good for me. Even when I face trouble, I know that the Lord can work in and through that trouble. And if you meet anybody in this church, you can ask them, anybody who's been tried by fire, you can inquire of them and say, tell me about your most difficult season. And they, true to form, will tell you some dark times and follow it up quickly with this. But you know what God did for me? 
Those are the best stories. That's why the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, which is this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I once was a wretch undone, right? That's the beauty of the gospel is that it is always difficult to be a human in a fallen world, but we always win in the end. I once had a pastor tell me in a moment of my own weakness, I just feel like everything's terrible, pastor. And he said, I got a secret for you. And I was like, all right. He said, in the end, we win. And I remember it being, it's like so, so contrite, right? Oh, we win. But I also remember like uh, it really, it put the whole thing in perspective. You know, consider that these momentary afflictions are but for a moment. Consider that the journey that you're on is difficult, but guess what? In the end, you win. And there will be a day when you stand in glory side by side by other believers and you're like, you made it in too? What in the world? Oh my gosh. And you won't remember any of this. All that you'll remember is how good he was in that season and that season. But you got to jump in. You don't get that by standing on the side. You don't get that by holding on to the edge. You don't, you don't get that by just going, you know, it got hard and I'm just going to swim back to the end. I, 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 I just thought it was going to be a lot easier, and I, I don't think I, I can do it. And one of the reasons we pushed you just a second about having an understanding about who Jesus is and getting a real revelation of his goodness is, is we also don't know what's yet to come. In verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal, even though life might be hard. I press on towards the goal of the prize even though life might be difficult I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus what he's saying is um, I actually can see right now through all of the chaos of my life and I, I, I I can see Jesus in it and I wonder if for a moment you could just think about that day when you do get to heaven It's not going to be a place, you won't have to ride a train. Eventually, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Heaven will be in his presence for all time. But we do understand that it is a place. I always think to myself what it would be like to go through the pearly gates, right? See Peter. He's like, no, you're in here. You sure? Yeah, right here. To walk hand in hand with Jesus on the road made of gold. To see loved ones that I've missed to see giants in the faith. You ever think about who's the first person you might interview when you get to heaven? Right? Like, so what, were you, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. I read your story. You're, you made terrible choices. <laughs> Love you. What Paul is writing in this moment is I press on because even though life is hard, I'm really not looking at life. I'm looking at Jesus. He says, I... I find the prize so valuable that one day Jesus might look at me and say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Enter your reward. Paul says, that's the only thing I'm going for. I just want to see him. I just want him to, I just want, I just, I just want Jesus. And so when it turns out that I, I lose my way, I just, I just want Jesus. I just look to Jesus. I just keep jumping in. I just keep letting go. And even if it gets tough, I just keep. It was um, May 4th of 2010. Uh, this word, this scripture mattered to me for the very first time. If you don't know, I was, a, I was a drug addict for 15 years. For the last years of my addiction, I was addicted to crystal methamphetamine. I did crystal meth all day, every day. At the end of my addiction, I weighed about 140 pounds. I spent about $150 every day on crystal meth. And, and it had cost me everything because that's the kind of drug that you can fake it for a little while. I'd lost my career, a company I helped found. I lost my friends. I was in a band. I lost my band. I mean, if you're doing drugs and your band quits, you're in deep. And <laughs> you're in trouble. I lost a house, a car, and my first marriage. And if you, if you know me, you know that the two boys who are sitting in the front, they're like, everything and at the end of my addiction I lost them and my ex-wife did exactly what she should have done as a responsible mother she filed papers with the court that said I could no longer have them but in her grace she'd let me visit with my sons one night a week and it was her job to bring them over to me and it was my job to feed them put them to bed and take them to daycare and she brought him over on the evening of May 4th. And I knew that this day was coming, and so I didn't use crystal meth at all that day just so I could be present. But if you know anything about this drug, what it means is that you, if you're not using it, you can't function. By the time I was in this stage of my addiction, I couldn't do anything without dope. So on that day, I just was just on the couch, depressed, fatigued non-functional and she came over she had them dressed in their footy pajamas they were four years old and two years old at the time and you know they had those little zip up pajamas with the little vinyl feet do you know what I'm talking about is there anything more cute in the world than little kids with a big old belly in the she walked them in and she said I'll never forget it she said don't don't mess this up and it wasn't like she was putting me down. She was being honest. Like, you, don't mess it up. I remember I walked them in, and um, we were in a phase, because when you have little kids, they're in a phase. They pick a movie, and they just watch it until you pull your hair out, and then they switch movies. And they were in their Finding Nemo phase. So every night, every week, every moment of the day, they would watch this fish. And I brought him in and I, I, I put the movie on because that's kind of the best I could do in the moment. And I went into the kitchen and I made him single dad's breakfast, the champion. There was tater tots and corn dogs. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I put him on these little plastic plates in front of him. And I sat down. And I remember for the very first moment in a long time, I took a good look at my life. 
we lived in this rented apartment in the Five Points neighborhood. It was a, like a train station of transients and junkies just like me. It was full of paraphernalia and drugs everywhere. We had cockroaches and, and rats everywhere. And I remember for a moment sitting there and seeing my sons and just for the very first time, I got a very clear picture of just how bad life was for them when they were with me. And I made a plan. And if you've ever been in a low place like that, then you know the plan I'm talking about. It was beyond just the ideation that I shouldn't be here. It was more than just feeling sorry for myself. I realized that I had to do something to prevent them from having to be around me. I realized that our apartment had a garage and I had some hose. And so in the morning, I was going to take them to daycare and come back. I was going to park in that garage. I was going to duct tape this hose to the inside of the exhaust pipe out of the back of my car and I would put it into the window and seal the window as tight as I could, start the car and go to sleep. And I remember in that moment making that plan that it was it, it just the weight of it hit me and I realized tomorrow I'm going to die. And I began to weep. I wept. I wept because I, I failed. Because I, I promised. Because I, I was supposed to get out of this. It wasn't supposed to end like this. And I, I, I wept because I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't know I was going to be a dad. I didn't know what kind of man they'd be. And I fell asleep. And I don't know how, how long I was asleep for. Sorry, but I woke up and the boys were standing over me and I was kind of freaked out because you know you're like oh no <laughs> they broke the TV or something and I, I, I sort of wiped the sleep out of my eyes and I looked at them and I said what's up what's going on fellas and they're four and two too young to know what's going on but old enough to know that things are different here and they looked at each other and then right at me, and in unison, they said, just keep swimming, Daddy. Just keep swimming. And I remember feeling like the Lord had walked into the room. And he said, I'm not quitting on you. You don't quit on me. And I tell you that story today to tell you that if you're there and if you feel like, you know, if I'm being honest and look around this room, look at my life and it's a mess and I don't think I can do this and things are worse off around me, I want to tell you right now, just you, you keep swimming. Don't you give up. Don't you stop. If this Sunday is easy for you, but Monday's always been hard, don't you quit. Don't you stop. The Lord has not given up on you yet and he won't. And so here's my challenge to you today. You've come to church, you've been to an Easter service, you've said yes to Jesus, but then nothing changes. Well, today is the day it all has to change because you're forgetting what's behind you and pressing on towards what's in front of you. You're here today. Would you bow your head with me? We're going to pray a simple prayer. The beginning prayer of a life spent with Jesus. This doesn't solve all the problems. This gets you just better equipped to fight. 
Everybody in the room, would you repeat this prayer after me? Father God, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I've come to the end of myself. Today, I declare that Jesus is Lord, my Savior, my King. Jesus, I trust you. I give you my life. I open my heart. Dwell within me. Help me swim. You're here, and that was the first time you ever prayed your prayer. Every head is bowed. We're still in this moment. I just want to acknowledge you. If you're here, and you said this for the first time, I want to join you on the journey. I don't want you to be finished here and then leave. If that's you, would you just point one finger in the air so I can see you? I want to make sure that I can celebrate with you, hug your neck on the way out. Is that you? You say a prayer today for the very first time. I see you. That's you. I see you. Awesome. Awesome. After service, I'm going to meet you outside. We're going to get some ice cream together. I want to talk about your life and your story and remind you to just keep swimming. In Jesus' name, amen.